Um, I just invite you today. We're, we're going to re-anchor ourselves on God's story and our story in that. I have felt over and over again that there's been certain things where I want to press forward, and then the Lord just takes me back and goes, what, what, what have I already said, and what do you need to go revisit about what I've been talking to you about? I'm not going to keep going until you stop, and rewind, and sit on that thing that I'm not done yet with. Is that all right? Um, along those lines, you know, um, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about um, the big game today. Um, it's recording right now, so don't tell me the score. And uh, yeah, and um, so I'm I'm really excited. I think I think Jurgen Klopp has got a really good um, game plan for for Pep um, for Pep's offense, and um, and I think the Reds are going to pull it out. I'm not sure, like because we've been on kind of a slump, what's going to happen. And um, and yet, what I love about LA is that some of you have already turned off because I've talked about a game. So you're like, all right, I'm not going to pay attention. This is Los Angeles. Uh, the other half of you, um, I guess there's the Super Bowl today, and like thought I might be talking about that. And then, uh, which, why would I talk about that? And then I, I was actually talking about English Premier League football. Um, and, uh, and that is the most important thing to me, and that is happening right now. So don't you dare tell me the score. That's all I care about. And what you do with the Super Bowl, do with the Super Bowl. And one thing, if you're new to L.A., is that you don't have to care about anything as it relates to sports. So if you do care, you might want to tone it down a little bit because you might offend some people. Anyway, I will be watching that game, too, later, I guess, maybe if there's food. If not, I won't be. Um, back to today's message. That's just an aside. What? Yeah, I, there's no problem with having food. I'm going to have food either way. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to share a little bit about our... our uh, I think our core, one of our core anchor messages today, and uh, revisiting one of the themes of uh, the past. I want to start with um, a story, though, kind of a, an aside. Uh, Tim Keller told this story that uh, Allison McIntyre told um, years ago, and it went something like this. Uh, just imagine you're standing at a bus stop. I know some of you have never taken a bus in your life. I've taken many a buses living in a big city uh, in Chicago for many years. Just imagine standing at a bus stop. And a man comes up to you, and the man, the man is yelling, yelling, yelling. And he goes, the name of the common wild duck is Historionicus, Historionicus, Historionicus. Well, that's kind of an odd thing that someone would come up and talk to you about. Um, there's a duck. There's, a, there's something about the name of a duck, and... There's a strange man coming up to your face at a bus stop. And you can do several things with that story, right? Uh, you, you, can, you can literally put that into a story and make a couple different options. The first thing you might be able to do is say, um, number one, there's my option of the stories is, um, okay, this guy's mentally ill. And most of you are kind of like, well, that's a pretty good possibility. Um, second story could be, um, oh, I know what happened. Uh, this guy must have been sitting in the library yesterday, and someone came up to him asking him for the Latin name of a wild duck. And he thinks I'm that person. I must look like that person. And then the, the third, right, that's not what you guys are thinking? Okay. That's the third would be, uh, oh, obviously, this guy is a, I thought she was, sometimes she just needs to feel my leg. She's like, feel distant, and I didn't know. Um, 
It's how we keep the spark going, people. Uh, we are having a baby pretty soon, uh, on the 15th. And uh, would you pray for that, that little girl to flip? She's breached. So if you, if you want to go lay hands, usually I don't let people lay hands on my wife, but today would be the day if you've been craving to lay hands on my wife. Not like she laid hands on me just now, but just in general. I'm going to pray for a baby. Tell that baby to flip in Jesus' name. Okay. So back to our story. You could, you could do with this, this, interesting, this interesting man coming up and, and giving you this thing about a duck name in Latin, and you can go, oh, he's, he's mentally ill. He, uh, he's mistaking me for someone else. Or, or potentially he's a spy, and that's a code name for something. That's where I would tend to go. It's like, what kind of exciting world that I might be entered into? No. And, but whatever you do with that, all three stories theoretically are, are trying to make sense of a really broad and weird scenario. And what you do based on what you believe about the story is going to make a big difference, right? Because you could um, turn around and be threatened by him and try to kill him or headlock him or, you know, whatever you want to do with them. Uh, or you could, um, which would be, you know, kind of a, a shame since if he was mentally ill and you took him out, and that would, that would be inappropriate. And then the other aspect is uh, you call the police or you could just engage him in conversation. You could do all kinds of things, right? But what you believe about the story is a big deal. And your work, your life output, your purpose, your contribution in life will also make no sense if you don't put it into some kind of story. And right now, I feel like we're in, I feel like it's a good example to, to one level because it's kind of a stupid, it's a duck, you know, stupid duck example. But the idea is that many people right now are just in a moment of their life where they're just kind of wondering, where does the story of my life fit into anything that makes any sense? And, and we're questioning things. And people are taking big risks because they're trying to kind of figure out life. And everything's reshuffling and everything feels very kind of vulnerable and fragile. And yes? Okay. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. I, I want to talk a bit about how we identify ourselves, our why, our work, our output, and how we align that with our faith in such a way that we remember the story that anchors everything else that we put into life. And so I, I also just wanted to, to, to start with this, um, this article I found uh, that was actually out of Australia. And uh, some of the things that, it's been interesting, people are starting to kind of comment on the effects of the pandemic uh, in general in the culture, right? And um, th this, this w woman from, I guess, The Age, I don't know if that's a, a, a big publishing thing over there or not. Aussies, is that a big thing? The Age, is that? Yeah? Okay, in Sydney. There you go. Thanks for having Australians ready to go. Uh, Melbourne, okay. And this woman, Wendy Tui, basically says this, that the pandemic is breaking down the separation between professional and personal lives. So people are starting to, to merge the realms of their, of their person, their family, their dynamic there at home, and their profession in a way like never before. It helps uh, when, when, when you're trying to have a professional work call and you're screaming at your homeschool child from one <laughs> second to the next or trying to silence them, or you just don't care anymore. My favorite are the people that... I just don't care anymore. I've been on a few. I've been on a few calls where where it's like the, the, the like a like a, a, a whatever. It, it could be a teenager, it could be a five year old, it could be someone else's kid. I swear, sometimes I'm finding new children coming into Zoom calls of people, and I'm like, whose family are you watching today? You just and they just come right in and blah 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 headphones and and there's just like very little like care like there was at first. Like oh, I'm on a call. I'm on a call. Now it's just kind of like uh huh. Uh-huh. I've watched, like, oh, I've w especially very skilled um, mothers, like, literally, like, 
clean out a child's ear, redress them, make a meal, and, and then put them on their way and solve a homework problem, all while answering questions and not skipping a beat and acting like this is unnormal, which, is, which isn't fair. Like, I actually am really concerned about men in the workplace because women are now starting to prove their ability to multitask in such a way that I don't know who, I, if I was hiring, I would never hire a man. Like, have you tried to watch the man like right now multitask on a Zoom call? It's really disturbing. <laughs> it's really disturbing. And, and, uh, and I'm getting embarrassed, to be honest, on most, most days. So all, all that to say is, is they got actually quite serious in some of the, the feedback. They weren't talking about men and women. That's just me and my own insecurity as, as a man that cannot multitask. Maybe some of you men can do better than me. But they said something positive appears to be emerging in the lives of, particularly in their case, urban dwellers. We're kind of urban dwellers who may have been believed that their lives were stuck on inflexible tracks. And they're seeing signs of what they call a grand reassessment. Say grand reassessment. grand reassessment. A grand reassessment among people making choices that they didn't even know they had. So people all of a sudden are kind of being forced to live an extended season of life where they're starting to confront choices that they didn't even know they had. Maybe there's even choices in your life that if you really stop and think about it, you know what? I've started to kind of make some choices that I didn't really realize I had, or the pandemic brought up before me that I didn't know I had. Maybe you got in a car with your chickens and your children and drove across the country like some friends visiting today. <laughs> or, 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 maybe, or maybe you're still kind of mulling over your grand reassessment and some of the things that are before you. What they said is there's been a time of reflection that's caused many who could now start making plans for change. You were restrained from doing things where you had to stay in one place, and there was an element of contemplation that encouraged reassessment. This guy Salt says that there was there's this experience that those who lived through the world wars, the shock of disruption, and the realization that, that what we believe to be permanent could be tenuous, encouraged people to seek ways to make the most of their time. So that happened in times of war. But now when you go through a war, you come back from where you want to reinvent or create something new or different, like a war. And this has been a circuit breaker. We've gone through a time like that, where it feels like, hey, maybe your job or your life or your world or your family has been completely decimated, and all of a sudden it just seems like the things I was going after are just kind of shallow. And what's the real purpose of all this anyway? And I just sat there and went like, there's part of this that was kind of super heavy, and then there was part of this that was just, again, another wave hitting me going like, what a moment we're in. What a moment in human history where we're kind of all in the midst of our divisiveness. We're all kind of in this odd exhale of pause going, maybe I will consider things that I wouldn't have considered before. What is the purpose of my life? And what really matters? And what are the shallow things that I've been kind of trying to keep above water, just floating, that aren't worth treading water over anymore? It's a powerful, powerful picture. And these are just, these are just dynamics of normal people in normal countries. They say uncertainty about the future brought about by reassessment. People learn new skills because they had to. Being cut off from family and friends highlighted the importance of those relationships that many had placed all of a sudden a newfound focus and appreciation on them. The other thing that happens is people are learning to say no. 
They're learning to say that because of and just overscheduling, for instance. A lot of people are realizing that the scheduling is going to be much more selective because people have had to say, you know, I can't do that. Why? Well, because I'm homeschooling five kids or I'm living with my parents or so-and-so that I care for just got COVID or whatever it is. All of a sudden, your boss is like, that's fair. <laughs> and, and people are like, oh, I can say no. Well, maybe I'll say no to you permanently. <laughs> Uh, and everything under the sun, we're learning how to be selective. And I think that there's going to be really good things about that, and there's going to be potentially negative things about that, right? All of a sudden, there's the temptation then to go, I only have to do what I want to do. And then as a church, we're going, well, we've done that before. It hasn't worked out super well. We live in a culture of self and individualism, and when everything becomes about me and only doing what I want to do, you ultimately don't get what you really need and what your life is for. But at the same time, I think we've got the ability to start to take the baby steps to be bold, to say no to the things we need to say no to, and to be selective for the things we want to say yes to. Because every time you say no to something that you needed to say no to, you've opened the door to say yes to the things you really need to say yes to. So I think what we need to filter in is seeing these things that are happening among us, all around us in culture, and going, okay, We've got this power pause happening right now where I can be selective about my life. I can say no to good things to say yes to the best things. I can say no to the things that are going to prioritize my yeses of the things that are the most value in my life. And, and I think that that has to be something that we set an example for in this kind of community. What are we going to say no to? What are we going to say yes to? And what kind of story are you envisioning yourself being part of? in the midst of this. All right, I think I made my point. <laughs> so then I want to I wanna start with, with uh, well, I've already started, so that's always scary when the preacher's however many minutes in, he says, I want to start with something. <laughs> so settle down, it's not that much longer. Uh, I, I only have a couple, couple points I want to make today. Uh, I, I want to tie this into to the creation story. And uh, you know, yesterday I was, I was uh, any of the guys were there? How many of the guys were hiking yesterday? Yeah, a few of you made it. The rest of you just pansied out at home, still soaking your feet like I was last night for two hours with my wife's bath salts. It was glorious. It's the only reason why I can stand up right now. So, 8.8 .8 miles, huh, Clark? Yeah, maybe double that. That was a lie. Yeah. <laughs> that was one way, I think, going in, 8.8 .8 miles. Found out what I was made of which was a lot of whining and complaining internally to seem like I was doing great externally. Either way, we made it, and it was fine. We're back, but my feet needed a soak. Um, but we had this, um, Clark brought up this great little tight, uh, topic halfway through. Go spend some time with the Lord, um, and the topic was on identity. And then we paired up for a little bit on the way back and just kind of processed that with, uh, with another guy. And, and I've been processing a lot about just who I am and identity. In the church, we talk a ton about identity and, and I think um, you know, the most common dynamic of identity in the church, at least our stream, is the reality that we're, we're sons and daughters of the living God who came and, and died and resurrected and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And, and this is what we really love to emphasize, and that you can just get up on Daddy God's lap whenever you want and let him speak his voice to you and affirm you, and that's your identity, like a, a son, daughter, in Daddy's lap, right? You have access to him at any moment, any day. And that's good, and, and, and that's, that's fine. But that's not the language of the world, is it? 
And when the world talks about identity, it has a whole lot more loaded dynamics than that. And, and I do think ultimately we as believers are meant to go, okay, I start from this place of an intimate connection with the living God, with the Father. And he demonstrated that intimacy towards me through his son, Jesus. And yet, how do we connect that story to people so that they resonate something with the story? Because you can say that and they go, like, I, I, okay, that's great. Like, you call God daddy. That's super weird. But, like, it's like, and I get you have a connection to him. And, I, I mean, I'm, sometimes when you say to your stories, I don't really believe you, but I'm kind of drawn to that, to that lifestyle you have and connection with God. It's fine. But, but what do we really do to invite people into the story? Uh, one of the things um, uh, we do, I knew I needed my phone for something. Do you still have it right there? You can just grab it for two seconds. You can give it back to our uh, three-year-old. Amen. Good teamwork, babe. Did you want to touch me real quick just to get a good little taste? She said no. Okay. Uh, so, 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 pray for me for the next six to eight weeks. Uh, uh, our mission is an invitation. This is on our website. Our mission is an invitation. This is who we are. And this is the kind of language that we try to connect with the world. It's imperfect, but I just want to remind you all of like, who we are at Frontier. Our mission is an invitation. We're invited to intimately connect to him. That means when we talk about God's presence, we're inviting people to connect to him, to God. And then we're, we're also in the process of discipleship. But people don't know what discipleship means. That's our formation process. Who are we being formed into as human beings? We're inviting people to their own personal and spiritual formation. And if they have no concept of what the image of God and to what the person of Jesus looks like, we have to show them and to say that I am, I am in the midst of a journey of becoming more like God. Because I believe God is good. And that God created creation and you and I like him in such a way that we were meant to, to literally take his glory, which they have no idea what that means. And you have to find language for that and try to connect to when they, when they get out into the created order and what makes them shine, what makes their heart come alive. You connect that to the creator God and say that's the kind of story that we're supposed to connect to and see our father taking delight in that and saying, I see you in that and I want you to shine into that and saying well, you're invited to be a part of that forming process. And then thirdly, to join in with him, to join in with him to the mission of renewal, to renewal not just souls, but yes, souls, but the entire created order. To have a passion for the, the, the vision of when we know at the end of the story that the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and new earth are all an aspect of human beings, the church, taking on the role of saying, we've been put here for a purpose. To bring the chaos of the world and give it the beauty and the order and the restoration of heaven here on earth. And when we take on that role, that's part of taking responsibility, as we mentioned last week. And we don't push blame when it doesn't need to be blamed. And, and so when you get into the creation story, you start to realize that in the garden, God, God tells them to be fruitful and multiply and that work, putting something with your hands, is beautiful and it's good. And so God's speaking to Adam and Eve, and he's speaking to all of humanity. It's personal to them, but it's also global. They end up becoming humanity's representatives. And then in creation, we see God's ultimate desire is then for what? Do we start with, like, this horrible, wrathful problem of sin? Is that how the Bible story starts? 
Because when it feels like Christians are going out and they're starting the invitation to enter a story with a problem, then we have a problem. That isn't how God tells his own story. When you start with a story of chaos and wrath and problems, you aren't actually inviting people into the story that God is trying to bring us into. Because God starts the story and he says, look at this unbelievable, beautiful creation that I'm giving you. It's really good. And then you, humanity, who I made my image, it's so good. I want you to do more with it. I want to actually put into your hands the privilege to partner with me to bring about more of this. Expand the beauty. That's a story. That's an invitation that everybody wants to be part of. And, and I've said this many times. Great story writers pick up on this reality. Uh, many of you would know Aaron Sorkin, who writes all kinds of things that we watch and, and glean from in L.A. He says this, and I've said this several times, and I'm going to say it again. He talks about story, and he says, this is what we do. Rather than tell the audience who the character is, this is just not a, not a Christian perspective. This is just a good story. Rather than tell the audience who the character is, I'd like to show the audience what the character wants. It all boils down to intention and obstacle. Intention being somebody wants something. Something is standing in their way of getting it. That's the obstacle. So they want something. They want money. They want the girl. They want to get somewhere, but it doesn't matter. They have to want it really, really bad. And if they can need it, if they actually need the thing that they want, that's even better. Something formidable is standing in their way, and the tactics that the character uses to overcome the obstacle is going to define who the character is. And, and here's the thing that we need to realize just when we go into Scripture. Um, the first thing I do to make sure that I'm always aligned with what God is saying is remembering that for me to find my place in the story, it starts with putting myself aside because I'm not the main character of his story. He is. God is the main character of Scripture, and every time you're studying it, you're asking, what is God like? When you're asking that question every time, you'll find out something about him and his goodness as opposed to the ways that we can get distorted by the world, and you get realigned with the good story. And you start with the beauty of the invitation, and then the intention of God doesn't get lost. So many lose God's intention of intimate love and being after humanity with the most perfect, profound love you could ever imagine. And when you lose the heart of God's pursuit of people, and you focus on the issue of people, the obstacle standing in the way, being how you present the story, because what happens in the garden? What is the problem? What is the obstacle? You can, this is historic. What? That's the problem. Shame. Yes, sin. But what is the sin? Sin comes in, and they're now exposed, vulnerable, full of shame. And you know whose idea was the covering? God's. Not because they were naked. Who told you you were naked? I had no problem with your naked vulnerableness. I had no problem with your openness. They felt the shame. And when they felt the shame, out of his love, he wanted to cover their shame. The story in the garden does not ignore sin. 
It simply presents it in the space of first and foremost, here's God's unbelievably good intention for you and humanity. Here's the story you're being invited into. Here's the obstacle of your shame that's getting in the way of you experiencing the intimate love connection between a father God that wants you so bad and is willing to send his own son to cover you with his life. I have a hard time believing that there's many people in the world if you find a way to connect that story to theirs, they wouldn't want in. Can we be reminded of that again? Jesus, can we just be reminded of your gospel again? Can we be reminded of the story again? Remind us of the story that we're in. Our purpose is anchored in making that story connect with all of creation. Our purpose is taking that story and saying, I've got a space every moment of my life to ask for opportunities to release that story. And he might have put you in a career that aligns so perfectly with your gifts that there's no question on what the big picture aim at your life is supposed to be. But the body will be so much more effective when we can figure out how to do the daily tasks with that story. Where we don't need an influence of catastrophic proportion to feel like we're doing something with that story. One of the things of our city is that we value the power of an influencer. We can make fun of every IG influencer under the sun, but the reality is we realize that when people care about what you have to say, when they care about the stories you post, I think it's hilarious that on Instagram that it's like a story. Like, it's not a story, it's a clip. Of, it's the opposite of a story. <laughs> right? And most of the time, when you see a bunch of little clips, the last thing I figure out from that person is a story. And, and if I am getting the story, it's more of like a story of hell, of chaos. <laughs> like it's, it's just the randomness. If you followed my stories, I'm just like, It'd be so confusing and jolting and not soothing in any way, shape, and form. And it certainly doesn't tell an intentional space of story. Maybe some of you do. I, not, not, my, not my type 7 this anyway. But, okay, so can we pause for a moment and experience an appreciation that we live in, in kind of a culture in our city where we appreciate that there need to be stories and stories told. And many of you have have unctions or desires or artistic expressions or creativity where you have spaces for that. And then many of you are trying to pursue spaces for that. And then ultimately our dissatisfaction happens when, when we don't feel like there's a constant outflow of providing any worth towards that end. And with the absolute best intentions, we continually receive the right gospel and then we live a gospel that says my output is my worth. And I need it. And we know the story gets even better when I need something. And we try to enter into the story and say, like, I need it, I need it, I need it, I need it. And then God will bring you back and go, do you really want to need that? I think that's what the Lord has hit me with most over COVID. The things that I thought I needed and the things that I thought I needed to do. His response kept coming back, did you really need that? Did you really need that? Did you really need to achieve that? 
Did you really need to put yourself towards that? Did you really need to get that result? Did that really change who you were, who I am, and your place in the world? And there's, there's this concept that when you understand our faith, you enter into the story by something this simple, like a blade of grass. I love how Jesus would just like walk around because there's nothing flipping else there in ancient Israel than wheat and trees and branches and twigs. That's all he had. <laughs> so he used it. And now we have all these other distractions and purposes and potential achievements and ways that we can kind of put ourselves towards things that really matter or are way more interesting. And what it really comes down to <laughs> is people, they just want to know, does my life have any worth? And is the shame that I'm feeling going to cripple me? And is, does someone have a better story than the one that I'm telling? And if we could tap back into that story again today, we're going to enter into communion. And I want us to ask the Lord, remind me of this story and let my heart deeply connect in a place where everything else is stripped away and I'm reminded who I am. I'm reminded of God's intention, that he ultimately wants me more than anything else. And that the obstacle of shame is really an obstacle of trust. Am I going to trust him? The lack of trust is what breaks intimacy. They didn't trust what he had said about the tree. They didn't trust that that was what was really best for him. When my marriage is compromised, it's a lack of trust, and it, and it embeds a place of shame. And it has to be covered, and we have to lay ourselves down for each other. When you do this in every area of life, we start to present this over and over again, this kind of story where trust is compromised, shame comes in, and we ultimately are realigned with this, this invitation to have a face-to-face -face encounter with him. This is how the story keeps going and how Moses comes in, and God is restoring a family of Israel, and he's inviting them into face-to-face -face encounter, but it scares the life out of them. They're scared to death. I think his goodness, we're about to enter a time where his goodness is going to scare us in all the right ways. And saying yes to him is not going to feel like this trivial, like because it's a great decision. It's going to be like, I'm saying yes again to the most scary thing. Because I've got no guarantees. And I'm saying no to a bunch of other good things. That was flipping petrifying. <laughs> Am I actually going to trust him again? Am I going to step into the story afresh? And so that story of scripture, of God with us, is a promise of intimacy and to let him see you. Let him see you. Let him cover you. Let him know you. Trust him to provide. Trust him to lead. Trust him with places, spaces, time. Because the story is about the main character, God, and his intention into what it means to be with him, to walk with him. Because the plot of God centers on how far God is going to go.
to get what he wants. And that's when Jesus just comes in at his table and completely wrecks you over and over and over again. And when we gather, we come to the table and we remember. This is where the story has its climax. Laying down a life. 